You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are blessed when you have a sister like Sharice praying for you. I'm just saying. How you guys doing? Sleepy. (laughs) Exactly. Well, hey, give yourself a hand. You made it to church today. I am uh, still fighting a cough. Uh, As I told you last week, I went to the doctor, not contagious. They even called me midweek, said I don't have mono, I don't have strep throat, I don't have anything, but I still got a little cough, and so I've got a cough drop in my mouth. I'm going to try to preach with a cough drop in my mouth. I hope it doesn't make too much noise, but I am thrilled to be with you today. Hey, can we welcome those online? We're so glad you're here. Those in Kenya, we love you guys over there. Hey, just by way of quick reminder, um, Easter is coming. Crazy, right? April 17th is Easter. Uh, We are having a Good Friday service on April 15th, so we love when we have those around here. haven't had one in a few years, and I just want to say to those of you who are journeying with me through Lent, and maybe those of you who are not doing the Lenten devotions, but you're still feeling God stirring in your heart and your life, we are going to have baptism celebrations on Easter Sunday baptism celebrations, and we would love to baptize you. That is a historical sacrament that goes way back in the church that was first celebrated in the early years of the church on Easter Sunday. But today, I am wrapping up this four-letter word series, and uh, man, it's, it's been a good series. Uh, you might recall that the very first week, uh, the topic was grit, grit. Then you might recall the theme was weight, Then the theme was pain. Then it was obey. And it's been a good series because, listen, we can all connect with four-letter words, right? We all have had that tendency to have them slip out at times, right? We've just been using it as a different way to talk about some very important four-letter words. And so today, I get the privilege to wrap up the series. And uh, I don't know if you have any guesses on where I'm going today, But the word today is the answer to the majority of the problems in the world. Like for real. That's not any kind of preacher embellishment. It is relevant and it is needed in the life of every single person on planet earth. If the church would just get this one right, we would be one of the most contagious movements on the planet. People would be drawn to us just by the fact that we get this one right. One last hint, God is this four-letter word. The word is what? Love. You got it. Everybody say love. In fact, one of the shortest verses in all of scripture is a verse that I want you to place into memory. You can memorize this, I promise you. It is 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Say it with me. God is love. Now say it louder. God is love. It has been estimated that more than 100 million love songs have been recorded in a variety of different ways. The Beatles came out a long time ago, before my time, but some of you can remember the Beatles. 1967. All you need is what? All you need is love. Love is what? All you need. And of course, most love songs are sad, heartbreak songs. 
I find it interesting that on Spotify, there are actually 35,000 followers who follow a playlist titled Sad Love Songs for Crying Yourself to Sleep. Some of you are like, dude, I need to go live. I need to go follow that one right now, right? And of course, most love songs are heartbreak songs, like I said, but that doesn't even mention the multi-million dollar movie industry, the romantic movies that you hopeless romantics love, right? We sing about it. People write songs about it. And yet, it feels like in our culture, we are more polarized and against it in practice than we have ever been before. But here's what I truly believe. If the church could get this one right, we would change the world. The problem seems to be that we now live in a day and age where we have lost our ability, have we not, to have an intelligent and amicable conversation and discourse with those that we disagree with. Have you noticed this? When it comes to issues like politics, race or religion, mask or no mask, vaccination or no vaccination, come on, how many of you are glad that's over with? Praise God. You might say, I'm not sure it's over. Oh, it's over. Yeah, you ought to just clap and pray that it's over. It's, 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 it's over for now. Praise God, right? But we have now entered into a season in this great country and in the world in which we live where it's not enough to just disagree with people. We have to demonize people. Have you noticed this? Come on. We, we demonize them and, and we argue with them and we distance them on the other side of the aisle. And what's worse is we now have gotten to a point where we excommunicate them from our lives. There are algorithms in our social media platforms that enable us to insulate ourselves away from those that we don't agree with anymore, whereby we create this self-affirming cycle We live in echo chambers, if you will, where we just continue to be self-affirming and reinforce what we already believe, and this too just throws fire and fuel on judgment and bitterness and angst and hatred. But the Bible, everybody say, but the Bible. But the Bible tells us that there's a better way. There is this thing that I'm going to call the supremacy of love, if you will. It's a great verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Come on, out loud like you mean it and want to believe it and live it. Let love be your highest goal. Let what? Love be your highest goal. It is the supremacy of love in your life, in your relationships, in your family, in Washington, D.C., in this broken and divisive world, God instructs his creation of which we are the crowning part of his creation, human beings. He instructs us to let love be your highest goal. And if we back up from 14.1 in 1 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians 13, we get the entire chapter that's titled the love chapter. Now, probably every single one of you in here have heard this passage at weddings. And it's a great passage for weddings, but might I submit to you today that that is not even the original context in which it is written. It is written to the church at Corinth. They were were going off the rails. They were fighting each other around the communion table. 
They were mean-spirited. They were losing their faith. Paul confronts them, and in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he says this. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a, get ready, resounding gong. Or if you got your Bibles open, or what? A clanging cymbal. If I, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am just a aggravating, abrasive, agitating person because I don't have love. He says this in verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. My, my voice doesn't even carry. In other words, the word of the Lord is saying, listen, if I, if I graduate magnum cum laude, if I've got so many degrees behind my name, you call me a thermometer. But I don't have love. I have what? Look at verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor, here's for the generous philanthropist among us, and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but I do not have love I gain. Nothing. In other words, I can be the most generous person in the world, but if I don't do it because it's grounded in love, I am nothing. And then he continues with verse four through 13. And we read earlier that God is what? So when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it is perfectly fine to wherever you see the word love, insert the word God. Would you stand in honor of God's word today? Verses four through 13. Look at what the Bible says. Love is patient. God is patient, right? Love is kind. God is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse six. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never, what church? Fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Won't you read this last verse with me? And my Lord, put it to memory. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is you may be seated. Now, in our English language, we tend to have one word, love, that captures all of the love that we try and desire to experience in our lives. But the truth is, in the original language, in the Greek, there are three different words for love. 
The first word is phileia or philae. It comes from the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is named after it, I should say. It's brotherly love. It's sisterly love. It's the kind of love that you have for your friendships, right? The second form of the word love is eros. Eros is a romantic, erotic love, if you will, between partners, between married folks or folks who are dating. It is a very romantic, passionate love. The third form is the love that we see throughout the New Testament. It is the love that is called agape. Agape. Now, agape, as you will see, is a commitment to love. It is an act of the will, the resolve within a believer to love all people. Agape love is what we find in 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is what we find mostly in the New Testament. Agape love is what we find in that verse that we read earlier, God is love. The biblical version of love that we find throughout the scriptures is not this happy, sentimental, warm, fuzzy, kind of hallmark love that, that we tend to gravitate towards as Westerners, but instead it is a, it is a verb, it is an act of will. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love, we agape, why? Because he first loved us. And check it out. The Bible says that we're not just to love fellow believers. John 13, 34. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we're actually supposed to love our bitter enemies. Matthew chapter five. Come on. Whoever claims, look at this. Read this out loud with me because this one's gonna, there's a little ouch factor here. Go. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a for whomever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I love that the Bible just kind of tells it like it is. You know, it's just straightforward. It doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat it. It's easy, come on. It's easy to love those that you enjoy. It's easy to love people that you like to hang out with. It's easy to love your parents if, if they've been good parents. It's hard to love somebody who completely disagrees with you on political issues. It's hard to love somebody who has it out for you and they're, they're trying to harm you in some way, shape, or form. It's hard to love someone who maybe hurt you when you were a child, right? But agape is a determined act of the will in the life of the believer, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above our own. And it's challenging. And if you're like me, you have blown it many times. Like I, I could keep you here all afternoon and tell you stories of the times in which I have not loved people like I should. And if you're anything like me, you, you need something to help you, right? You, you get, give me something, Pastor, that can help me get this straight. Because I'm here, I love God, I desire to get this right. I want to give you what we might call the love meter test. The love meter test. And it's five of the most important words that you can think about when you think about how you're loving one another. And it comes straight from 
scripture. Five words. Consider others better than yourselves. Oh my. Do what? What you talking about? Consider others better than yourselves. Why don't you say that with me? Ready? Go. Consider. Good job. Jesus always did that. He was the king of kings, the son of God, fully God, fully man, and yet he considered other people better than himself. It's the most amazing thing you ever find when you look at scriptures. Jesus, Jesus loved notorious sinners so much so that he got on the last nerve of the religious elite group of people called the Pharisees. Jesus loved and showed respect to prostitutes. He, he loved children. Now, we in the Western world, most of us love children. Most of you love children. Others of you are like, forget that. But anyway, uh, he, he loved children. The religious ones tried to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children come to me. For unless you become like the children, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, don't miss next Sunday, baby child dedication here at New Hope. And if you have a child that you want me to dedicate, I would love to do that. But today is your last day. So you got to register today. But he loved the children. Every day of his life, he considered people better than himself. It's a challenge for all of us. It's easy to consider people better than yourself if if you respect them, right? If they are a celebrity or someone that you admire deeply. Last week, Anna Grace, my daughter, came home from Atlanta and um, the three uh, kids and myself, we went out and we were just kind of hanging out and it was before we were eating dinner and, and Anna Grace, she has, she's never done this before that I know of, but she, she said, hey, let's play a game. She said, if you could have anybody over for dinner, who would you have over? And so all, all the siblings started answering and, and then they got finished. They said, dad, what about you? And I didn't, I didn't, I don't like people who always want to Jesus juke you. And, and so, so <laughs> I didn't want to Jesus juke him. So I said, guys, I know you're going to think this is just your dad, the preacher guy. I said, but, but, but I, I'd like to have dinner with Jesus. They're like, no, that doesn't count. You can't, you can't pick Jesus. I said, all right, then I said, right, I, I would like to have MLK Jr., He's a mentor of mine from afar, from a distance. He has shaped me. I, I've told you about classes I took where I've huddled in the halls of Duke Divinity School and listened to these old cassette tapes of all of his sermons. If you're a young person and you don't know what a cassette tape is, just Google it later. <laughs> but if King came over to my house, I know it's fun to remind me, who would you have over to your house? You got your own. But like for me, it would be King or the Apostle Paul. But let's just imagine, imagine King came to my house. Guys, I would... I would honor him so much. I would meet him in the driveway. I'd open up the door for him. I'd, I'd open up my front door. I'd bring him in. I'd have a, a nice meal planned and prepared for him. I'd sit him at the head of the table. If he said anything remotely funny, I would laugh. <laughs> I, I, would, I would respect. And then when we're over, I would open up the door for him and I'd make sure he had directions on where he was going. Right? Like It's easy to love somebody like that. How about how about the person at the drive through window who can't get your order right? <laughs> well, how about, 
How about the person who calls me weekly now who wants to know if I want to extend the warranty on my car? Talk about four-letter words. I have to resist them every week that they call me. What is up with these people? It was King who, who said this, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. We talk about King a lot, but, but his wife had a great quote on love as well. Coretta Scott King, she said, love is such a powerful force. It's there for everyone to embrace the kind of unconditional love for all humankind. That is the kind of love that impels people to get into the community and try to change conditions for others, to take risk for what they believe in. My love meter has a tendency to read low when I'm asked to treat people with love that are getting on my nerves. The waiter at the restaurant who gets your order wrong. The in-law who loves to poke and prod at you. The crazy uncle who always shows up on Thanksgiving trying to create a catastrophe. Do you know that you can fundamentally disagree with somebody but love them anyway? Do you know that you can be hurt? I mean like really hurt as a child by those who should have loved you the most, and yet you can really and truly love them. I mean, let's just imagine you're driving through the parking lot, hypothetical, church parking lot, and let's just imagine that you're late for church. I mean, that would never happen, but let's just, let's just imagine that it did. And, and you, you're coming and you're hoping to get a parking spot right up close, and all of a sudden you look and there it is. It just appears out of nowhere. Hallelujah. It's right there. It's cold. And you think, oh, thank you, Jesus. And you put your blinker on and you get ready to turn in. And all of a sudden, somebody whips around the corner and they cut you off and park right in your parking spot. <laughs> Can you love that person? That's the love meter test. Can you consider that person better than yourself. Philippians 2, the love meter test is a tough one. But I wanna encourage you to live with it this week and maybe for the rest of your life. Five words, consider others better than yourself. Say it with me. Consider others better than yourselves. One more time. Consider others better than yourselves. Now what I have discovered, again, through a lot of failure on my part, I've discovered that there are certain problem points that prevent me from loving people as I should. Let's get real practical in our, in our remaining time. Problem points. Maybe they'll work for you. The reality is if I am running too fast, I tend to not love people well. Can anybody relate? It, when I'm struggling to love people, or I don't love my kids well, or my friends well, or the person at the convenience store, or the waiter, or whatever the case may be, the problem is that I'm typically running too fast, and I'm too tired. Why? Because loving people well drains energy. It, it takes energy. So in my world, you know when I tend to fail at this the most? 
on Sundays and Mondays. How horrible is that as a preacher? Like I've preached up here before and gone to a restaurant and just not loved people well. Just being honest with you. And I felt great conviction about it. And I, I've worked on it a lot over the years. But Sundays and Mondays are really, really tough for me. When are, when are you most tired? If I'm running too fast, I don't tend to love people well. This is why we see a great example of this in the scriptures. Jesus, when he was doing ministry and he was healing and he was preaching and he was loving people, he would often get in a boat and leave the crowd and go across the Sea of Galilee. Side note, men in the house, men in the house, if you need a good reason to get a boat, It's springtime. Here's what you need. Go home today and say, honey, honey, just tell you why. Honey, I, I want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Some wives are going, don't you do it. <laughs> he, he would get in a boat and he would head out across the Sea of Galilee and he would spend time resting. We have, we have record of him in the scriptures falling asleep in the boat when you look at the creation all the way at the very beginning, go back to Genesis, God creates the world. And at the end of the week, he, he's been creating and creating every single day. At the end of the week, I don't know, maybe on Friday, I don't know what he said. Maybe he said, thank me, it's Friday. I don't know. <laughs> but, but he gets finished creating and he rests. He rests. Listen, listen. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Glory to God. Amen. Sister says amen. Praise the Lord. For real. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Rest. We go too hard. In light of going too hard, life is hard. And so we get life as hard compounded with us going too fast and too hard. And then we just get burnout and we get depleted and we don't have any energy. And it's really hard to love people well. Let me encourage you with spring coming. And like I said, we're coming out of the season that we've been in. Praise God. Go to bed early. Eat healthy. Stay in shape. Put some breaks in your schedule. Take regular days off. Listen, you heard it here. Use every single day of your vacation. Rest. Get in environments like this weekly, every single Sunday. Be in the house of the Lord where you're filled up, your tank is filled, and you can love people well. The first one is I'm going too fast when I don't love people well. Here's, here's the second thing. I'm holding on to the past. I don't love people well when I'm holding on to the past. It's hard to, to love people in the present when you've been hurt by them in the past. I know, I get it. But sometimes the greatest weight that we tend to carry on ourselves is the hurtful opinions that people are heaping on us. Shake it off. Learn to not live in the past. One of the greatest examples of this that I've seen in a long time was on the CBS News. And instead of telling you about it, you just might as well marinate in this for just a moment. Take a look. 
It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Come on. Amazing story. I love the reporter said there at the end, if, if they can put aside their differences, what's our excuse? Hey, this is not even in my notes. I just feel led to ask you, who do you need to forgive? There are two ways, and, and I've done them both. Like, I, I, I failed at this in my life. When you've been hurt by somebody in your past, there are two ways that you can handle it. One is you can let that bitterness eat you alive like cancer on the inside. And you can become a miserable, mean, bitter person. Or... You can learn to shake it off, get help, and heal and forgive. 
Did, did you notice how the brother forgave the other brother when he, when he said, I'm sorry? Maybe you're here today and actually you're the one who has hurt someone. And as I'm talking, you're not, you're not thinking about, I need to forgive them. You're actually the one who's hurt them and you need to own your stuff and say you're sorry. It's been said that there are 12 powerful words that can heal almost any relationship. 12 powerful words. Here they are. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my. Say it with me. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Each of those 12 words is very important. I was wrong. I own my stuff. I'm sorry, right? It's one thing to say, I'm sorry. It's another thing to follow it up with, please forgive me. And then, I love you. It's the way of love. The first one that I found in my own life when I'm not loving people well is I'm running too fast. The second one is that I'm holding on to the past. And the third and final one is I'm using the wrong fuel. I'm using the wrong fuel. I remember when I was a teenager, I got my first car. Well, my first car after I was a Christian. I had a car before I was a Christian, 1968 Chevelle, bad to the bone. It, 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 it about killed me. But then after I became a Christian, I couldn't have that car anymore. I, I got this little old Toyota Tercel. It's a hatchback. Some of you have heard me talk about this old blue car before. It's rusted out on the sides. It's one of those cars that when you turn it off, it doesn't want to turn off. It was one of those, right? Yeah. Well, I'm such an idiot. I got this car and I pulled up to the gas station and I pumped it full of diesel fuel one day. Oh, it's right. It was a bad day. I didn't get far down the road. It started making all kinds of noise. I thought it was normal, just being itself at first. And then I realized, oh no, I'd made a mistake. It was a, it was a disaster. We, we sometimes get the wrong fuel in our lives. There's an ordinary love. There's a generic, an ex brand kind of love that's popular in our culture today. It's, it's a cheap love. It's a love that, that means I'm going to love you if you please me. I'm going to love you if I like you. Or as I've already said, I'm going to love you if I respect you and you're somebody significant. And then there is agape. There's an extraordinary love that is supposed to be alive in the lives of believers. It's a love that, that comes from another source. It's a, it's a fuel that feeds us. It, it's not of this world, but it is able to be acquired in a person's life. If you go over to Galatians 5, you get to the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that? The fruit of the Spirit. I never really made this connection till this week in sermon prep. I mean, I know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but I'd never, really, I'd never really settled into the fact that the first fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. It's love. Now, now, now pay attention to the language. The fruit of the Spirit is that phrase, fruit of the Spirit, 
is this language of fuel that I'm talking about. If I'm grafted into the Spirit of God, if I'm walking with the Holy Spirit of God, and it is my source of fuel, it is my source of strength, it is going to manifest itself in the way I interact and love all people. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And as I walk in love with God, as I'm grafted in to the Holy Spirit of God, I have a fuel source that enables me to love all people. Even the person who gets on my nerves. Even the person who has hurt me. Even the person who might be trying to hurt you. The person who's trying to slander you. The person who's talking behind your back. The person who abused you when you were a child. I'm not making excuses for them. Please don't mishear me. What they did was horrible. But your job is to learn to love them. You can be with people that you fundamentally disagree with, diametrically opposed to them politically, relationally, economically, whatever the case may be, and yet you can love them. And church, when I read church history, this is the thing that was so amazing to me about the first church. It's, it's how they loved one another. By the time you get to about 130 AD to 200 AD, apologists started to arise and they started to defend the faith to Rome and Roman leaders. Christians were being killed. Christians were being persecuted. And so apologists started to arise and make the case for the Christian church. She was exploding. She was growing like crazy. And I'm suggesting to you that it was because of this, I don't know, this politic of love. In fact, two of the early apologists, Athenagoras in AD 177 said this, they do not rehearse speeches, talking of Christians, the people of the way. They do not rehearse speeches, but exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those that ask of them and love their neighbors as themselves. It was the way of Christianity. In fact, you probably know this. We weren't even called Christians in the early days. We were called the way. It, it was the way of love. Tertullian, which is a great early saint, AD 200, put it like this. I love this. It's mainly the deeds of a, of a what church? Of a love so noble that led many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. How they are ready even to die for one another. No tragedy causes trouble in our brotherhood and the family possessions, which generally destroy brotherhood among you, talking about the world, 
Create fraternal bonds among us, one in mind and soul. Watch this. We do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are in common among us, but our wives. <laughs> I love that. Hey, everything, <laughs> everything's common. We're going to share everything, but not our wives, right? It's love. This is what captures me about the church. It is the place where love abounds. What if we not just loved one another with agape kind of love? What if we love the world that way? Our neighbors, our colleagues, the people who aggravate us, the people that we work with. Tony Campolo shares a story. It's one of my favorite stories. I haven't shared it in a while. You, you might've heard it. He, he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Like a Party. Tony Campolo is a sociologist from Pennsylvania. He, in his book, he tells this story of one time he flew to Hawaii for a speaking engagement. And because there was a six-hour differential in, in time, when he got to Hawaii, he found himself up later that night, really the morning, wide awake. He could not sleep. So at three o'clock in the morning, he's wandering the streets of Honolulu, Hawaii, where he finds a little diner. And he goes in and he sits down and in his words, not mine, he says, there's, there's this fat chubby guy behind the counter who, who comes around and says, hey, what, what can I get you? And Tony Campolo said, well, I'll just take a coffee and a donut. And he said, there he was, he's sitting there in the diner at 3.30 in the morning and he's sipping on his coffee and he's eating a donut when about that time, eight or nine boisterous prostitutes flung open the door and came in and sat at the diner bar with him. He said he didn't know what to do. They were on each side of him. He said their language was crude and crass. And, and about the time where he said, you know what? I, I just felt like I was going to go back to my hotel room. About the time he was going to ask for the bill, a lady right beside him said, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. And her friend, the prostitute beside her said, well, why are you telling us? What do you want from me? A cake? And she said, why do you got to be so mean about it? I just wanted you to know that it's my birthday. I don't expect a Cake? I've never gotten a cake on my birthday. I'm not expecting one now. And in that moment, Tony Campolo said he sipped his coffee and he had an idea. So he didn't leave. He stayed put until they left. He called the chubby guy back to the counter. His name was Harry. And he said, hey, do those ladies come in here often? He said, oh yeah, every single night about 3.30. He said, well, I got an idea. I want to throw a party for the one who said it's her birthday tomorrow. Harry goes, oh yeah, that's Agnes. She's really kind. He said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow I'm going to come in here early. I'll bring a cake and I'll decorate this diner. And when they fling open the door at 3.30 in the morning and they come in, we're going to surprise Agnes and we're going to have a birthday party for her. Harry goes, oh, that's a great idea, but one condition. I got the cake. Tony said, fine. Tony left the next morning, 2.30 in the morning. Tony's back in there. They decorate the diner with crepe paper. They had, they had the word get out. Harry had, had fixed a birthday cake. 
Tony said that by like 3.20 a.m. in the morning, the diner was packed wall to wall, prostitutes everywhere. He said the word got out. He said the word got out and they were all in there. Sure enough, like clockwork, 3.30, man, the door flung open and Agnes and all her friends came in and they said, happy birthday, Agnes. They sang her happy birthday and Tony said that tears started to roll down her face and her knees started to buckle a little bit and a friend grabbed her arm and helped her to the counter of the diner. Harry then walks down and puts a big, beautiful birthday cake in front of her and lights the candles and Agnes is frozen. She doesn't know what to say, she doesn't, she's speechless. And Harry said, Agnes, blow your candles out. And Agnes blew her candles out and, and then Harry said, Agnes, cut the cake so we can all have some cake. And, and Agnes said, if it's okay, can we not, can we not cut the cake? Can, can I save the cake? I only live a few doors down. I hate to ask, but if it's okay, can, can I take the cake home? And Harry goes, well, yeah, Agnes, it's your party. You can do whatever you want. And Agnes grabs that cake and she, Compolo says she carries it out like it was the Holy Grail. She walks to the door and she leaves and, and the door shuts and Tony Compolo says there was this awkward silence. He said, I didn't know what to say. He said, so then I, I said, hey, why don't, why don't we all pray together? And in that moment, Tony Compolo offered a prayer with a diner full of prostitutes and, and Harry. And he prayed that, that God would be good to Agnes. He prayed that God would reveal himself to Agnes. And he prayed that as a result of that night, Agnes might experience the agape love of God and be drawn to God himself. He got finished and he said amen and there was a little bit more awkward silence and Harry, he goes, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What, what church do you belong to? And Tony Campolo said in one of those sacred Kairos moments, he said the only thing that came to his mind, he said, I belong to the church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, well, I've never seen that church, but if I do, I'd go to that church. It's the way of love. And when we get this right, the world will take notice and we will change this sin-scarred, broken, angry, divisive world. Father, I pray in this next season that agape love would be our banner. I thank you for a church like New Hope and I thank you for a beautiful people that have gathered here this day in person and online. And something inside of them in this moment knows and deeply desires 
that love that is from above and that love that flows through us to others. So Father, I pray that when we walk out of here today, we will be more like Jesus who put others first. Father, I pray that we would not be a church that shoots its wounded. I pray that we would not be a church that judges people when they come. I pray, God, that we would be a church that would throw parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning. That we would realize, oh God, that no one's ever been changed through mean-spirited judgmentalism, but that it is by your kindness and your love that people are led to repentance. So Father, we thank you for the love that we've received. Now live that love out through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.